I want to dive into our message today. We're in part four of our series, Rebuild. Uh, look at the, the story of Nehemiah. If you're new to Catalyst, the reason we, we've dove into the book of Nehemiah because he felt called by God to go back to his capital city of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls uh, to, ascend, to eventually reestablish temple worship, which we'll get to today. And, uh, and we've, we're now on the fourth installment. The first week, we talked about how Nehemiah received a vision from God to go back to his capital city, how he risked a lot to go back to rebuild the walls. He planned and prepared in faith. Uh, he took a risk, uh, and he, with a team, rebuilt the walls. Then the second uh, part of uh, the series, we looked at when he faced resistance externally and internally. But through the hand of God, they rebuilt the walls in 52 days. Uh, which previous builders took three to four years. Uh, God can have a way to accelerate things in your life. And I've mentioned this before. Here's what I want for you. I want this for my life. I want this for my kids' lives. And I want this for your life. I want your life not to make sense because the hand of God is so evident upon your life. The blessing of God's on your life. The power of God's on your life. Come on, how many want to live a life that does not make sense rationally? Listen, I know you're brilliant. I know you're very educated. You're very effective. But I want the hand of God on my life. Because he can do things I could never do on my best day. And he can do things in your life that you could never do on your best day. It is true. And that's what I want for you. And Nehemiah, they see that the hand of God's on their life. They rebuilt the walls in circumstances they never thought could. And then uh, what happens after that, I'm taking you kind of through the book of Nehemiah in a short, short period of time, is the first thing they do before they built their house, before they, they, come on, they, they, they establish anything in the community, they worshiped God. They had a six-hour worship service, so we're going to practice that today. Come on, six hours. Let's go. Uh, um, uh, but, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Some of you are like, dear Lord, why did I come here? This was not on the website. Um, lock the doors, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, some of you have been to those churches, and uh, you had to get therapy afterwards. I know. Um, we're not the church. So, um, but uh, they have a worship service, and God moves so powerfully. They repent of basically having been putting God first in their life. They repent and begins this journey. So now we're picking up. So that's up to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah 10. Nehemiah basically is going back to Persia, where he came from. Where he was a cupbearer. Um, he was a cupbearer to the king, and he's going back to celebrate King Artaxerxes' 32nd year as king. And while he's, so before he goes, come on, it's like a, it's like a parent. Uh, any parents, you've done this before, when you, maybe you go out on a date night, and you tell your kids, all right, listen to the babysitter as if they're dad, right? You're like, you, whatever they say goes. He kind of has this moment kind of in a fatherly uh, way with them of saying, hey, listen, I'm leaving, but like, Keep God first. They're like, yeah, we're going to keep God first. They're like, you know, hey, keep the house of God first. We're going to do that, Nehemiah. He leaves, um, and, and much like, come on, parents, with your kids, you come home and you realize the house is a mess. Uh, the city was a mess. Uh, they had not kept God first. They had allowed the surrounding Babylonian culture to influence them. Uh, they weren't living for God. They didn't have value on the house of God. And so Nehemiah, Nehemiah 13 he basically um, has this moment where he, he, he basically corrects them as a leader lovingly. And just a side note, uh, this is not necessarily a, a, a popular Western culture thing, but it's very much a biblical thing and a spiritual thing, is that, is that I think each and every one of us, in order to experience God's best, you should have someone in your life that you allow to lovingly correct you. Um, I have those people in my life. It, and listen, 
Correction's never enjoyable. <laughs> if it is, you're a psychopath. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, but, uh, but the Bible says this. Discipline is not enjoyable in the, in the moment, but it's fruitful for a lifetime. And I thank God for men in my life who will tell me the hard truth about me. Uh, and my wife, um, who sometimes tells me the hard truth too much. That's a whole other story, though. Uh, we'll cover that in our relationship series. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I do thank God for her. Uh, but you need to have people who are going to be honest in your life. I, I think this, there's a lot of people that I think may not be experiencing God's very best in your life because you will not allow someone to be honest with you. Have someone who's unimpressed with you who will be honest with you. I'm telling you, it will save you years of, of pain, of heartache, of bad decisions. If you just have somebody who will say, hey, you got this issue, but I'm here with you. I'm not condemning you, but I'm here with you. So, so Nehemiah has this corrective moment. See, first service didn't get that. That was a little side dish for you. You're welcome. Um, uh, that was the Lord. But, but Nehemiah has this moment with them where he kind of gives them this loving correction. And here's the good news. Before I get into the message, let me say this. That, that Christianity, if you're new to church, I want to say you're welcome. And we're so glad you're here. Uh, you're new to Christ. Christianity is the only faith that has the concept of grace. Here's what grace is is that you do not have to earn favor with God. You don't have to earn your acceptance with God. You don't have to earn love from God. Now, some of you should be shouting that down because that's great news. Because with the grace of God is this, the grace of God is this, is that regardless of what you did last night or you've been doing your whole lifetime, in a moment of repentance and turning to God, the Bible says his grace is sufficient. We are saved by faith, by his grace through faith. We are saved by that, that we can have right standing with God that has nothing to do with our morality. Like, that's good news. Like, that's good news. You, you're a great person, but you're not perfect. And Paul says that my righteousness and our righteousness is filthy rags. But because of Christ, we can have, have right standing with God. So hear this, because today there's going to be some challenging points that Nehemiah charges the people, the Jewish people with, and I'm going to charge us with. But, but God's instructions are to bless us, not to be a burden to us. And that the Christian faith is not, hey, you have to meet these standards in order to be accepted. That's called religion. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not a religion. It's having faith in Christ. And that's good news for all of us. Because I might yell at my kids later today. Come on, somebody. And I'm going to need the grace of God. In fact, I yelled at my kids this morning. Don't judge me, okay? Grace! Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm going to encourage us today to, to walk. Here's the, here's the analogy I'm going to give us today. The last year, uh, 2020, anybody else had this moment? I fell off track in my physical health. Any honest people in, in the room would say in 2020, you kind of fell off track a little bit. Maybe you kind of got off on your diet. So about four people are honest. The rest of y'all, you have a lying problem. And we're going to pray for you after service. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, or you didn't fall off track and we don't like you. So that's, you know, either way. So uh, here's how I have fallen off track. So here's how falling off track got to me. It starts with something small. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little insight in my life. Don't judge me. This is like Planet Fitness, judgment-free zone, okay? Um, and, uh, but how it started some, some years ago when I, I had a time where I fell off track is is uh, on Sunday nights I would come home, I'd be tired from church and just, you know, exhausted from the day. 
And there was a local kind of pizza shop, and I would get a chicken cheesesteak sub. Come on, somebody. Oh, some of you are like, I know what I'm getting for lunch. <laughs> Call me. Uh, <laughs> moderation. Um, but it would start with I'd get a large fry because we serve a God who's exceedingly abundantly and above. Come on, all right? <laughs> Don't make anything spiritual. Come on. Manna from heaven. You know, it's like, no, it's not. It's not what it means. Um, and, but it started with an occasional Sunday night meal like that. Come on, I slept good, but I felt horrible the next day. Come on. Uh, and then it became a pattern. Then it became my Sunday night thing. And then all of a sudden, that mindset influenced my Tuesday afternoon lunch. And next thing I know, it influenced my life. And that's how it happens in our life when we fall off track. And that can happen spiritually. And it can happen in our life spiritually, and we can just kind of maybe begin to kind of maybe not stay in God's word like we once were. Maybe not be as faithful to church in our, our community as we once were. Maybe begin to make small compromises in morality or, or areas of sin that we kind of let, let just kind of pass by that maybe at one point we didn't allow in our life. And again, there's no condemnation. Today is a calling to better because Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. So following the ways of God is so we can experience more of the blessing and the life of God. And, and, and that's how it can happen in our life spiritually. In fact, even recently, somebody actually used these terminology. I've fallen off track spiritually. They kind of fell off. And here's what Nehemiah does to the Jewish people that I'm going to encourage us to do today. It's to get back on track. It's to get back. And again, it, it might just mean just one step. You take one step to get back on track spiritually. And I think all of us in the room, including myself, have a step to take. Here's the beautiful thing of Christianity. You never graduate from following Jesus. <laughs> you never achieved the upper echelons. Uh, there's always a next step for everybody, including myself. So I would encourage you today, kind of have the posture of your heart. God, what's the next step you have for me? Because I want to experience more of your goodness and more of your grace and, and more of your life in my life. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. God, it's your word. God, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. I pray that you would speak through me as I, as I speak today. We love you. We honor you, Lord. We posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Nehemiah 13, if you have your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to give you three, just three, three commitments that he challenges the Jewish people to make in this moment that I'm going to challenge us to make. And here's the first one, is we need to renew our commitment to being different. I'm going to say what I mean by that. I actually initially had, underneath this point, is to renew our commitment to being uh, to holiness. Uh, but if, I don't know what kind of church culture you grew up in. Maybe holiness meant like you didn't go to movies. Come on, anybody that was your background? Or you didn't dance. Um, um, or whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Um, that's not holiness. Uh, it, it, it could be if you feel that conviction in your heart. But oftentimes, holiness is not religious action. Uh, holiness is not moral perfection. There's only one perfect, it's God. In fact, the New Testament word for holiness or godliness, it literally means to have a genuine pursuit of God. It's more of a posture of your heart than a state of being. Uh, in the Old Testament, it meant to be set apart. It means to live differently. That as a follower of Christ, uh, in, in the Old Testament, a follower of God, a follower of Christ in the New Testament, meant that you live a different life um, than the culture around us. And, I, and, and Nehemiah challenged them to renew their commitment to, to living differently. Uh, here it says in verse 5, 
Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. The storerooms is where they held the tithe. Uh, he was closely associated with Tobiah. If you remember Tobiah in Nehemiah 2 through 6, Tobiah was coming against the Israelites. He was trying to prevent them from rebuilding the walls and establishing their city. So he was an enemy. They invited the enemy into their, into their city. He had provided them with a large room, formerly used to store grain offerings, incense, and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem for the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon. I had returned to the king. Some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. And catch this, Nehemiah kind of loses his cool. Uh, which here's what I love about the Bible. It's not full of, the Bible is not full of perfect people, that God uses imperfect people. So when I read moments, when I see the humanity of people in Scripture, I get encouraged. Because anybody here, you ever just like lose it? Come on. You kind of have a moment where you just kind of like raise your voice with the kids. You kind of lo- have a moment where you lose it at work. Be encouraged. Nehemiah loses it. Catch this. He was so displeased. First, he's like, man, you did an evil thing. And then he threw all of Tobias' household's goods out of the room. Come on, he's like, like throwing stuff out. Like, you don't got to go home, but you stay, can't stay here. That's the Jeremy International Version. Um, he says, I gave orders to purify the rooms and put back the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So Nehemiah comes, and they have been influenced by the Babylonian culture. So Nehemiah comes, and he's like, we basically... They invited the enemy willingly in. They desecrated the sacred. And, and here's, here's if we got to be careful as followers of Christ, if we're, not, if we're not careful, that we can give the enemy, the devil himself, room in our life by opening a door. That we can, we can begin to make small compromises. We, we can begin to allow him to influence our lives in the smallest of ways. And culture can begin to influence us. Listen, Jesus said we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be in the world for the sake of humanity. But you cannot be effective for the sake of humanity if you're just like the culture. Uh, More than ever before, I think our communities need a church that, that looks like God's intention and less like the culture around us. Now, I'm not calling for us to go back to like boycotting movies and, you know, all of that I'm calling us to a genuine devotion to God. I'm going to spell it out for us, as I even see in Scripture. You know, as I was thinking of how culture around us can influence us, I remember years ago, I went to a D.C. United game for the first time. Any D.C. United fans in here? All right, one person. Okay, okay. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Um, Some of you are like, who's D.C. United? Um, They're a soccer team. Um, and uh, anyways, I've never been in before. So I ordered this, a ticket off this app that, like, they resell tickets, like, called Game Time. So I didn't know where our seats were. I got, like, some of the lower, lower cost ones because um, they were, like, expensive in some areas. So I was like, okay, this looks good. I saw where it was. But I didn't know it's where the club fans sit. Now, I didn't know they have clubs. Like, but there's, like, these fans that have these clubs. That they're, like, they're, like, loyal and committed. So literally, we get there like 45 minutes early, and like it's on like, you know, it's like bleachers, so you don't get a seat. It's a bleacher. And like literally, like the, like the people, um, including some very large men around me, they were like just jumping the whole time, like 45 minutes before service. I'm like, what is happening? Like, this is crazy. And they're like singing and shouting. And then during the game started, every time like United would score, they, they would like, they'd have these like, you know, 44-ounce beers. 
and they'd like fling them in the air. It's like, like I'm getting like soaked in beer. I'm like, I'm going to have to explain this to Christina, okay? <laughs> She'll think. Um, so the first half, I was observing because I'm not, I'm not a soccer fan. I'm not, I'm not in the club. By the second half, I'm like chest bumping strange. I don't know. I'm just like, yeah! I'm singing lyrics to the songs I don't even know. I'm just, just like, this is amazing! You know, they need to teach baseball fans how to do this because baseball would be boring. Especially now that the Nationals traded Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. What's happening? Sorry. Um, but uh, the culture around me influenced me. And that wasn't a bad thing then. But, but if we're not careful as followers of Christ, the culture can influence us in ways that can end up being destructive to us. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It no longer is good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says you're called to be distinct. You're called to be light in darkness. You're called to be salt in a world without, that's bland. <laughs> You're called to stand out. You're called to be distinct. You know, I thought I was thinking about distinct. In fact, a couple months ago, I knew we had shifted into a new season of the pandemic because anybody else have noticed this? I saw tourists back in D.C., right? And you know they're back, right? Because there's like a group of like 50 people, and they're all wearing a sweatshirt that says Washington, D.C. <laughs> You're like, oh, are you from here? Are you from Rockville? Oh, no, I'm from Texas. Oh, I, I didn't know, you know? It's, if you're from Texas, we love you. We're so, I didn't, no, no offense. Um, but they're distinct, right? You can, like, see them from a mile away. Uh, and Jesus says that we're called to be distinct in our world. Here's what that looks like. We're called to be kind in a world that berates people who think differently than them. We're called to fight for unity in a world that loves division especially in the church. This past year, one of the heartbreaking things for me as someone who, who just is committed to the church of Jesus is how people allowed their politics to divide them in their faith. Listen, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, or you're like, forget all of it. If you're a follower of Christ, your primary allegiance is to King Jesus, period. Like, period. Vote. Be involved, but the kingdoms of this world will one day pass. The kingdom of God will stand for eternity. So don't allow your politics to get in, in the middle of your faith, and it's unfortunate that that's happening in the church. I think God's calling us. See, here's what it looks like. It, it, to be salt looks like you are generous and open-handed in a world that's looking for more. You are, have a posture of service in a world that's full of selfish ambition. You are forgiving in a world that's so easily offended and just kicks people out. Nope. No, I'm not giving anybody a second chance. If you have a hard time giving someone a second chance, remember how many second, third, fourth, fifth, 377th chance Jesus gave you. Give somebody else a chance. Forgive. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's the right thing to do. And don't take it up with me, take it up with Jesus. That's his words. 
So, so we're called to be different. We're called to be distinct. Listen, we're called to be courageous in a world that's fearful. We're called to be faithful people. We're not fear-filled. We're faithful. We're wise, but we're, we're not driven by fear or greed or selfish ambition. We're called to be self-controlled in a, in a culture that throws off inhibitions. That's what it looks like to be salt in our world. So how do we do so? I'll get practical. Here's what, here's what Proverbs 4.23 says. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. I was reminded back when, I was, uh, when Hannah, my oldest, was around three years old. Parents, you can relate to this. I would take her into stores. And I would, before I went to the store, I would research where the toy aisle is. Okay, toy aisle is in aisle seven. So we're going to stay on the perimeter around aisles one through three. And then when we go around the edge of the toy aisle, I will stand in front of her blocking her way to get to aisle 12. Because how many know a three-year-old sees a toy aisle? Come on. It's like there's no inhibitions. It's like all of a sudden they want everything. So I was like trying to protect her and more importantly, my wallet. Um, so I guarded her. Now, now here's what guarding your heart looks like. Your, your heart is your, your inner self, your will. And, here's, and, and this is less of a, of a clear black and white. There are some things that are clearly black and white that are in Scripture. But a lot of times guarding yourself can be minding the checks of the Holy Spirit as a follower of Christ. And even just those, I'll put it this way. Have you ever done something or watched something or whatever it might have been, engaged in activity? There was something on the inside of you that says, maybe I shouldn't do this. I remember when I was my young adult years before Christ, I remember I was, I was hanging out with just people that weren't a positive influence on my life. And I'll never forget one time I had these, these people I was hanging around, they started doing drugs. And there was something in me that was like, I shouldn't be here right now. That's how I can come across. There's something inside, like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't allow this to influence me. Even, now let me bring it recently, I was watching a, a television show on Netflix. And the show wasn't overtly like, a horrible show. It wasn't like full of all this like, you know, stuff that's overtly sinful. But they had some moments, kind of innuendos and moments in the show that I felt the Spirit of God just say to turn it off. Like it was, here's why. If you don't even realize it, even like shows that can, that can, that can sow like sexual innuendos, little things, they can sow seeds of lust. And here's what the Bible says. Here's how sin begins. It begins as a seed. It gives birth to death. There have been moments I've been watching certain shows. Come on, a little HGTV. I had to rebuke the devil out of HGTV. Come on, somebody. Because I was like, you, you're making me discontent with my house. I want more and more. So I had to rebuke Chip and Joanna Gaines. I said, you need to get, you need to get behind me. You need to get behind me, Chip. Stop with those renovations. If you're watching Chip, we love you. You just got to stop. No, but again, it's, it's more of a personal thing. You just got to mind the checks. You follow me? Like those moments you're like, I, sh I shouldn't be watching this. I sh maybe I shouldn't be here. Maybe I shouldn't be engaging in this activity. And, and here's what I found. This is what I found. The more you mind those checks, the more you become aware of them. And the more you can prevent seed from taking root. Can I tell you, I have sat across from people who have made decisions, whether financially, uh, immorally, that have, that have wrecked their life. And it never starts with, like they went from A to Z. It's usually little things, little compromises, that over the course of time, these little seeds bear fruit. 
And the Bible says it eventually leads to that. So it's, so it's guarding yourself. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise to both the present life and the life to come. I love Paul because he often uses this analogy of physical training and athletes. And, and even he references sort of like Olympic runners in one of the, his letters. And he uses this analogy. And I, I, love, I love the Olympics. Um, Actually, I've realized, even last night I was looking at the Olympic highlights, I didn't even realize some, like, you know, were sports. I'm like, how is badminton a sport? That's another story. But I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, but I love to watch the, uh, the NBC. They had these, like, documentaries about athletes' lives. And here's why I love to watch it. Because I love to see, like, a diver or a, you name it. And I love to see how all of their life is consumed with this sport. Like, how they eat, how they train, like everything is like, I want to get the perfect weight, the perfect like muscular structure. I need to work on the skill. I need to eat this kind of food all for this moment. So Paul often uses physical training as a correlation for training for godliness. And in the same way, you know, for example, if you go into the gym, you lift weights and of course, you know, nutrition, but then your muscles sort of over the course of time will grow. And there are some things out of your control, like genetics and different things that determine ultimately your, your end result. And, and in relation to that training for godliness, here's what it looks like. Training for godliness looks like putting some spiritual disciplines in your life. And I want you to catch this. Reading the Bible will not make you more holy. Reading the Bible sets the table for God to shape you and form you. Coming to church does not make you more holy. Coming to church, being in the presence of God, worshiping, sitting under the teaching of the word of God, you're giving God room in your life. Are you following me? Even your finances, when you honor God in tithing or giving, you're giving God room in your life. That's what the disciplines do. So here's some basic ones, like daily prayer and Bible reading, worshiping with your church, being involved in a community group, Honoring God in your finances with tithing and generosity. You're like, maybe you're saying, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well on those things. There, there's actually a great book called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It covers 12 different spiritual disciplines if you want to grow and practice. Um, it's like learning different exercises in the gym. Here's some other ones. Uh, meditating on scripture. Uh, service. Uh, Bible study. Fasting. Like there are disciplines that you can put in your life. Again, you're just giving God room at the table to move in your life so you can, can grow and you can be formed by the Spirit of God. So renew your commitment to be different. Here's the second one. is Let's renew our commitment to church. Let me explain. Nehemiah 13, 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. They were bringing in all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on this day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish, all kinds of merchandise, selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing? Again, he's kind of losing his cool desecrating the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that God brought all this calamity to us in the city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. So in this moment, he sees is that they, he, he asked them to keep the Sabbath day holy, which is Exodus 20 in Old Testament scripture. It says this, 
that six days you shall labor. This is the, one of the Ten Commandments. You know, next to thou shalt not murder. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now, this is a principle. In fact, the, the New Testament, um, Jesus says this. The Sabbath wasn't made for God, meaning we don't do it religiously. It's actually been made, was made for man. It's made for you. It's made for me. Um, you know, they actually found, they did a study, National Geographic uh, published it. They found that people who regularly practice a day, a Sabbath, which Sabbath, the word Sabbath in the original Hebrew means to cease from work. It means you stop whatever you do for your paid work. Um, it's a day of rest unto God. They found that on average, it was a longitudinal study, those who Sabbath on a, on a regular basis actually, again, all correlative, a correlation, uh, live on average 10 years longer than those who don't. Uh, I've shared a story before, but uh, just to remind us, I remember years ago when I had a problem with my iPhone, and I w- went into a, to a genius, to the Apple store, the Genius Bar, um, and uh, I went in because it was having issues. And when I brought it in, it was being slow, like text messages weren't going through. And I went in to be like, hey, can you fix this? Or like, come on, I always have my fingers crossed. Or I pray, hey, go look, give me a new phone. Come on. It's like, I just think it's bad. I think I just need a new iPhone. I just need a new iPhone. You just go get the new iPhone for me. Uh, and um, he said, well, how often do you turn it off? It's like, never. Like, turn it off. Like, what is this, 1980? You know, <laughs> it's like, turn off a phone. He says, yeah, if you don't turn off your phone, we recommend a daily, on daily basis you will uh, shorten the longevity of your life. So do you see God's genius? God says, I want you to live a long life. Work six days. Take a day and give it to me. Here's what I think is, is if, if you're able to, some people actually have a good friend right now. She's, in, she's worked for a hospital. She has to work on Sundays. But have a day of the week. I think if it's able to be Sunday, if you, can, if you cannot work on Sunday, it's perfect. You come and worship. Then go home. Take that holy midday Sunday nap. Come on. Uh, spend time with family, friends, maybe dive into scripture again. God gave us this day. So he comes in, and the, the Jewish people are working on the Sabbath, like the Gentile culture around them, the Babylonian culture. So he's like, this is not what we do. We are people of God. Like, our culture works seven days a week. We work six days and worship one day. And, and come on, you know, our culture is no different, right? Come on, hashtag no days off. You were not created for hashtag no days off. <laughs> and here's the reality. And I say this from a place of humility that I, I have experienced this before. I have a hard time resting. Like, if you were to ask me, like, a number of years ago, Jeremy, what's your number one hobby? Work. Well, I like doing vacation. I like to work. And then I work some more. I, I love to work. But can I tell you, you were not designed to work. And if you feel compelled to work every day of the week, that means you believe that you are your source. And you're not. You actually think you're in control, and you're not. Give God a day. I'm telling you, te- test God in this. Test God in his word. Give him a day of worship. Again, if it's Sunday, so then here's the, here's the crux of it. Not just to have a day of rest unto God, but to have a day of worship. Because he came to establish temple worship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, this is New Testament. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Get the rest of that scripture? Sorry. Uh, not giving up the meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as they see the day approaching. 
That in Hebrews, they're, they're, he encourages us to continue to meet together. Can I tell you, I know it can seem like in our modern culture, especially after a pandemic where we were online only for a period of time, that the gathering physically in person to worship is not that big of a deal. But let me, I want to give perspective that this is why this is a big deal. Number one, the church did this since its inception. The first thing Jesus told the church was to get together, gather in prayer and, and worship. But then he, here, here's why we know it's a big deal. Here's why we know that what we're doing right now is powerful. Here's why, here's why. I read this this morning. Here are there, today, there are certain countries they are risking their life to worship Jesus. It is either against the law or culturally not appropriate to worship Jesus, and they could die for worshiping God together. North Korea, Iran, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, India. Right now, there are Christians risking their lives to lift up the name of Jesus. If it was not powerful to gather and worship together, then why would there be dictators shutting it down? Why would there be governments risking their, risking their lives for the sake of this? Because this is powerful. Jesus said, where two or more gather in my name, I am in their midst. The early church was birthed in Rome where it was illegal to gather and worship so they would go underground. Can I say this lovingly, pastorally? I think in our Western culture, this is really comfortable for us. We don't have to risk our life. We can publicly put it on the internet. <laughs> We're gathering to worship King Jesus. But this is important, church. This has been since the beginning of time. And listen, I love online church. I think it's great. But there's power to the gathering together. This is why the church has been doing this since, here's why, are you ready? Here's why, here's why it's so important. Here's why, and the enemy hates it. And he will do whatever he can to come against you. As in some countries, people have lost their lives because of it. Here's why, here's why it's so powerful. Because he knows when you come and you gather, you'll be encouraged in your calling. You'll be equipped on your pur for your purpose. You'll be reminded of who you are in Christ, that your value is infinite to God. You'll remember that you are not alone because you're worshiping around people who are walking through the same thing you are walking through. And when you tell them the hardship you're walking through, you'll probably hear, me too. You're reminded of how great your God is. As we were singing this morning, he's the God of revival. We're reminded our God does miracles. Our God is gracious. Our God is loving our God forgives our sins and the enemy knows that and if he can prevent you from being reminded of who you are from being reminded of who God is from being reminded that you are not alone then he can keep you caught in fear the church is dangerous to the power of hell he hates what we're doing right now because our king defeated the power of death hell and the grave and the word that we open every Sunday reminds us, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. The same power that raised Christ from the grave lives on the inside of us. And he, the enemy does not want you to know that. He wants you to stay discouraged. He wants you to feel lonely. He wants you to forget how good our God is. He wants you to forget how valuable you are. And that's the power of the gather church that we're reminded. And the enemy will, will do whatever he can to get in the way. He'll do whatever he can, he'll, he'll have your kids act a fool 
Come on. You'll be like, dear God, kids, I'm going to drag you to church because you need Jesus. Come on. I said that to my kids this morning. They're acting, whew. I had to pray. I had to have church at home before I came here. I was like, y'all need to, I'm going to do an altar call for you children right now. <laughs> He'll get you and your spouse to spat and to kind of have an argument before church. And you'll think, well, we can't go to church like this. That's when you need to go to church. He'll get you to be discouraged and be like, oh, it's not that important. I remember years ago, I was, um, my community group leader, he would text me on Sundays. Um, and he would, he would say, hey, I have a seat safe for 11 o'clock service. There was one Sunday I woke up, and it was like gloomy outside, like today. And uh, come on, football season just started. Come on. Like, I'm praying the NFL moves Saturdays. Come on. Like, I'm just, Lord Jesus. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to stay in bed, put on the pregame, just chill. So when he texted me, I was like, well, I feel like I'm, I'm accountable now. I need, to, I need to show up. He's my community group leader. And can I tell you, I went, and I've gone hundreds of times since. I never regret it. And here's my challenge for you. If you will commit to be planted, the Bible says in Psalms 92, those who plant themselves in the house of God will flourish in the gates of life. That if you plant yourself, and it, listen, this isn't about catalyst. It doesn't have to be here. Like, just find a church that you can get committed and planted and grounded. And listen, when you come to church, don't just come to be encouraged. Come to be an encourager. Here's what Paul said in Colossians 3. And then we'll move on to point three. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. In other words, when you come here, like, don't just come to be encouraged. Look for someone to encourage. Like, after service, like, linger in the lobby for a while. Like, encourage someone. Someone shares with you they're going through a hard time, offer to pray with them. Like, come ready to serve other people because you are the body of Christ. You are a member of Christ's body. So come looking for who you can encourage, who you can serve. So here's the last one, last point. So first we've got to renew our commitment to being different, or to holiness. Renew our commitment to God's church. Then renew our commitment to being generous towards God. Nehemiah 13.10, I learned the portions assigned to all the Levites had not been given to them, that all the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God being neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil in the storerooms. I put uh, Shilamiah, the priest, Zadok, the scribe, and a Levite named Pedadiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zachar, and son of Mataniah, their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were responsible for distributing the supplies to the fellow Levites. So he comes back and he basically, they were not uh, honoring God in the tithe. And he, he comes back and he says, man, the, the work of God cannot continue because of your, your lack of honor to God's house and lack of honor to the work of God. So he, he calls for a correction for them to bring back the tithe. Now, let me say this. I know anytime you talk about finances in church, it can get uncomfortable. So you're like, I wish I didn't come on this Sunday right now. Uh, but let me hear this. With, with God's instructions, as it becomes our finances, it's never to be a burden, always to be a blessing. And here at Catalyst Church, we'll never present anything about finances or any sort of pressure for anyone to give. That's not the heart at all. We present God's word. And you know, actually, God's word has more to say about your money and finances than about prayer. So as, as a minister of the gospel, if I were to talk about prayer and not mention the finances, I would not be doing God's word justice. 
And God's word is very clear. We're to honor him when it comes to our finances. And I know it can be hard and difficult. That's how we as a church go through great strides, to steward the finances of the church with integrity. As I mentioned last week, we get an external audit done. We have things in our, in, our, in our bylaws with the IRS that build in accountability and integrity. We're getting an ECFA certification, which is the highest industry standard financially. Here's why. We want nothing to get in the way of your relationship with God and your finances. And God cares a lot about your finances. Jesus said, wherever your money is, your heart is. Billy Graham, the evangelist, said, you want to know what you love in life? Look at your bank statement. That's how you know what you love. Because you love... It's crazy where your money goes. And that's why God is very concerned about us supporting the work of God, us giving to God. And, and he, here's the reality. It's a great investment. You know, when I, when I started to get back on the physical health wagon, I uh, got equipment for my house to work out. I, w- I went back to my gym this year. So I, I renewed my membership. And then I also started to eat more like plants and lean proteins. I don't know if y'all realize this, plants cost more than Hot Pockets. If they want to encourage you to eat healthy, shouldn't they be cheaper than Hot Pockets? I'm just, I'm just, trying, to help, I'm just trying to help America, all right? I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to make it cheaper. Like blueberries are like eight bucks for a carton. And it's like, come on. But can I tell you this? I willingly buy the plants and the lean proteins. It's a great investment in my body, in my life. Can I tell you, investing in the house of God and the work of God is a great investment for your life. Do you know since Catalyst Church started in January 2019, we have seen 527 people who have made a decision to follow Jesus or recommit their life to Christ. Now, if you were one of those people, you'd be really cheering right now. That you have made an eternal difference. That when you invest in the house of God and the mission of God, it's an eternal difference reward. And do you know that when you, when you get to heaven, there's two judgments every person or every Christian will face. One is if you trust that God as your Savior, is, is God will basically ask you, did you make Jesus as your Savior? That's the first one. And then we'll be welcomed into heaven. But the second one is a workspace judgment. Well, God will see, how did you steward your life for my kingdom? And, and everything will be revealed how we sorted our finances, our time, our talent, our life for the kingdom of God. And you will actually have rewards in heaven based upon what you did with your earthly resources. So it's important that we, because as, as a pastor, I, I help to equip you from God's word for your life here, but also when you stand before Jesus at the end of days. Because that's going to be an important meeting for all of us. So it's a great investment. Here's what God said in, in Malachi 3. Well, let me your mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But how, you ask? How are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing out there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your field will not drop before the fruit, fruit is wiped. Then all the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He says, so the tithe belongs to God. So when we withhold a tithe, God says we we're robbing him. We're keeping something from him. It's like years ago, I remember I borrowed a, a truck from a friend of mine. Uh, I had to move a, I had a Honda Civic. And Honda Civic's great on gas, terrible for hauling things. Um, and I had to move a, 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 a uh, queen mattress. So I asked to borrow his truck. When I brought his truck back, I didn't say, hey, 
hey, Andy, hey, Jeremy, hey, I have a gift for you. I just felt led by God to bless you with a truck. So you're welcome. Uh, he would have been like, you're crazy, and I'm calling the cops. I brought back what was his. Are you following me? It wasn't mine. God says the tithe, the first 10% of our income is not yours. It's not mine. It's his. We bring it back to him. This is yours, God. It's not mine. So I'm just bringing it back to you. And as with the Sabbath, God can do more in six days than you can in seven. God can do more and take better care of you with 90% of your income than you can with 100%. He actually says it's the only scripture in all of all the scripture where God uses this phrase, test me in this. God's like, let me show you how good I am to you. Test me. Put me to test in this area of your life. He says to bring the tithe. It belongs in the house of God. It provides spiritual food in the house so the gospel can go forth. Those 527 people can come to in relationship with Christ. Believers can be encouraged. Kids can learn about Jesus. That we can support church plants through the Association of Related Churches. That we can help our partnership with the Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless, Interfaith Works, all these organizations that we can do because of it. And maybe you're thinking, and please hear my heart, this is just pastoral, and if you're new here, you can disregard this. I'm speaking to those who feel like this is their home church. There's no pressure, but I'm sharing God's word. I, I, used, to, I, used, to, I used to say this, well, I tithe my time. I think it's a good thing to tithe your time to God. But your obedience to one of God's instructions does not enable disobedience to another one. So tithe your time but tithe your finances. And, and maybe you're thinking, I, I, can't, I, I couldn't afford to tithe. Ask yourself this question. If my income were dropped by 10% tomorrow, could I live? If you could, you can. I would just challenge you to take steps towards it. Here's my story. I, uh, when I came to faith in Christ, um, I was like, this is just, I'm just being honest. I was like, God, I love you, but I don't love you 10%. Like, we good? Not that much. It's like, I'll take you to, like, maybe get a meal at McDonald's, but I won't take you to a steakhouse, right? You know, it's like, we ain't there yet in the relationship. And I had a friend of mine. We were, we were preparing to go on a mission trip, so we were raising money. I had to raise $3,700 to go on this mission trip. And she challenged me that this is the one scripture where God says, test him in this. So test him in this. I said, okay, I'll test him. I, I trusted her. So I used to put, all, whatever I would give would go all to my missions trip. Because I thought, oh, this is for God too. So she, had, she said to tithe to your local church. I started to tithe to my local church. True story. I ended up bringing in from all from outside sources over $4,000 for my trip. It covered my trip and I covered the half of somebody else's trip who would not have been able to go if it wasn't for me. What did God show me? Jeremy, trust me at my word. Relinquish control. And watch me take care of your life. And can I challenge again? Please, there's no pressure. But I'm presenting God's word to you. If you trust God, and that's in every area of your life, including this one, you'll see that. And that's why we see in the New Testament, the New Testament, the more, when they speak of giving, it's not as much as tithe as it is 2 Corinthians 9. This is my last scripture. It says this in verse 6. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And the worship team can come if they are already on their way. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God's able to bless you abundantly. So at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and one larger harvest of righteousness. You will enrich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion, and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He says he will bless you in every way. So you can be generous. Do you know when we are generous, we reflect the nature of our God. Because God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. That's why it's a beautiful, the early church, N.T. Wright, a theologian, which if you ever read anything by him, I highly recommend if you want to learn more theology. Uh, N.T. Wright said this, the early church were actually distinguished in Rome by two qualities. Their integrity and their morality. That was our first point. And secondly was their generosity. They were extravagantly generous because it reflects the nature and the character of our God. So I want to challenge you today. We all have the next step, as I said before, to renew your commitment to God. Maybe for you, it's, it's guarding against some things in your life. Maybe you recognize, man, there's some influences I've allowed in my life that I need to do a better job of guarding against. Maybe it's putting some spiritual disciplines in place to allow God to work in your life. Maybe for others of you, you need to renew your commitment to the church. Say, you know what, every, I would challenge you with this, every weekend you're in town to be in church. I would invite you, if you're watching online, if you're in the Washington area, to be in person. To be, you'll be encouraged in your calling, reminded of who you are in Christ. And then lastly is, renew your commitment to be generous towards God. Test God in this and see that he will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing out upon your life. Can you pray with me, church? Bow your heads.